0: Thanks to our listeners. Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2023. The new teachings about marriage and human sexuality are an assault on creation itself. God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. It is an assault on that created reality. Think of
1: sin like a cancer on God's creation. It corrupts and distorts and destroys. God didn't create it. Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world. Are we looking forward to the day when our flesh and all the sinful desires of the flesh will finally be gone? Well, we have to always be longing for that day when when the flesh will be put off and we'll be totally made new.
0: Literally, folks, Advent is where we find ourselves in this age. We are a people waiting for the end, waiting for the appearing of our king.
2: Families putting up their manger scenes from the outdoor nativity store, love issues, etc.
0: Such a popular teaching in pop Christianity that God has a big vision for your life. It's completely unique to you. It's up to you, though, to figure out what it is, and it's also completely up to you to loosen up God or enable God to make that vision come to pass. That is essentially the message that many Christians are getting in pop Christianity Sunday in and Sunday out. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. Thanks for tuning us in. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us for this week in Pop Christianity today, Nicole Crank's Sermon, Seven Keys to Bigger Success. Pastor Chris Rosebro, he's pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, creator and host of the YouTube channel Fighting for the Faith. Chris, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Todd. Tell us about the
3: Crank family. David Crank, famously his father was a Pentecostal Word of Faith preacher. And he inherited his father's ministry there in St. Louis. In fact, uh, isn't he like one of your neighbors or something? Uh, but uh, all of that being said, he inherited this ministry from his father and has since really kind of built it into a, a far bigger ministry. He's taken their ministry on, uh, onto television, is notable online, and they have multiple campuses now. And most notably, they have a multi-site campus in South Florida. And so, within the Crank family, and this is kind of a thing within Pentecostalism, churches are like heirlooms. And so they get passed down from father to son, and father to son. And nowadays, they don't have a problem with women preachers. So, oftentimes, you know, fathers to daughters. And so the heir apparent is the son of David Crank. He makes regular appearances uh, down there in uh, St. Louis at Crank Ministries, and uh, it's called Faith Church in St. Louis. And so, yeah, this is an interesting thing going on there. So how do you explain that family dynasty phenomenon in pop
0: Christianity? We've got Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley, John Osteen, Joel Osteen, and then we could probably name a half dozen others. In some cases, the apples are falling rather far from the tree, but how do you explain this? dynasty of ministries so
3: within pentecostalism there is a proclivity to having a cult of personality whereas in confessional lutheranism and historic christianity men wear a uniform for the purpose of making them interchangeable with the next guy who comes along because it's been a while since christ ascended and so human beings wear out and die and so you have to fill the pulpit. And so the the standard way in which we do this is we want men to be interchangeable. So if Christ continues to tarry and I either retire or die in the pulpit, the idea then is, is that the guy that comes after me, uh, he shouldn't be my son. <laughs> he should be somebody who's studied and showed himself approved and who preaches the same gospel that I preach and wears the same uniform so visually we look the same. But in Pentecostalism, they are very much into this idea that people have anointings and they believe in something called generational curses but they also believe in generational anointings so if you've uh, grown up outside of the church and your father was a drug addict and an alcoholic and a womanizer then you're gonna grow up to become an alcoholic a drug addict and a womanizer because of generational curses this is how they think and so when on the positive side of it, they legitimately believe that if somebody has a, a special teaching anointing, that the, the unction of the Holy Spirit is really on that person, then their their progeny, they believe, receive that same kind of blessing like as the opposite of the curse. And so it's very, very common that father who had a notable ministry, hit one of his sons, comes up and fills his place. And the churches just legitimately carry on as if they're family heirlooms. But it has something to do with their theology and this proclivity towards cults of personality. Uh, they, the, 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 the fiery preacher who's really bringing it, they want their son to do the same. And he'll oblige them if they pay him properly. And that's generally how this goes, unfortunately. So we're going
0: to hear from David Crank's wife, Nicole Crank. How do evangelicals justify
3: women teaching men during worship? So, sadly, within evangelicalism, they have bought into a form of egalitarianism, and it's generally argued, not from biblical texts, they'll say that, listen, the the biblical texts that give prohibitions against women, these are cultural, this has something to do with the ancient world, it's not an ongoing thing, Plus, you know, just like Esther who was made for a time like this, how are we to deny that Nicole Crank, who clearly God has given a special teaching gift to, how are we to deny her from being able to exercise this teaching gift because clearly she was made for a time like this? This is legitimately how they argue. I would note something interesting has recently happened within evangelicalism, and that is a fellow by the name of Mike Winger, who is a YouTuber. He, over the past year, has been doing in-depth study on the question of, does the Bible forbid women from preaching and holding authority over men? And he initially made it very clear that he wanted to be an egalitarian, but as he studied the text, he couldn't bring himself to agree that egalitarianism is actually congruent with what the biblical text says. And right before the Thanksgiving holiday, he put out a 12-hour-long video Teaching on 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it's a fascinating listen from a man who was open to the idea of having women preaching. And now the biblical texts have arrested him and brought him to heel, if you (laughs) would. But uh, I would note he's completely out of line with the mainstream evangelicalism right now and mainstream charismania. But that's a notable thing at this point. What do we expect to hear from? nicole crank regarding
0: the seven keys to bigger success first
3: okay we should note that we can tell by the name of the sermon that this is already going to be a train wreck and the reason being is because scripture nowhere gives seven keys for your life to be successful so we're already now outside of the realm of sound biblical exegesis just in the title In fact, this sounds a lot more like what the Apostle Paul prophesied would happen in the last days, that people would gather to themselves teachers who would teach them what their itching ears want to hear. I mean, as somebody who's been in the pastorate now for 10 years, I can't imagine ever standing in the pulpit and giving such a message, knowing full well there is no biblical warrant for such a message. So she shouldn't be preaching, Scripture forbids her. This is a sermon delivered at her church. So we're already off the rails. But what she's going to do is she's going to start by invoking and kind of sort of giving us some parts of the account of the woman at the well in the Gospel of John, the woman of, uh, in Samaria. And so we're going to let her at least set the stage for her sermon because this legitimately is the core central text for the entire sermon.
2: The title of my, my message is How to Shrink Your Vision to Make Your Success Bigger. How to Shrink Your Vision to Make Your Success Bigger. And I'm gonna actually change the title just a little bit for church this week. Is that okay, Faith Church? It's How to Shrink Your Vision to Make Your Harvest Bigger. And I'm pulling this out of John 4. And in John 4:35 that's the scripture I want to start with. It says, "Do not say there are still 4 months until harvest. Hmm. Behold I say to you," says Jesus. "Lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are white with harvest." So to actually get the context of this scripture, like when did Jesus start saying that, what were the disciples doing, where were they? This, John 4, is where they were talking to the woman at the well. If y'all don't know my girl, the woman at the well, I've done enough research to actually find out her name. She's not some nameless, imaginary, made up story woman. Her name is Fotini. Fotini was the woman at the well. That happened right before this. She was in Samaria. Samaria was, I don't know, the the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Uh, They were at war all the time. The Samaritans actually at some point sacrificed Jewish children to their pagan gods. Like they did not get along. So Jewish people did not talk to Samaritans. Jesus walked through Samaria, or there might be some area of your life that God wants to speak to you about today that you could be holding back from him. And he, he walked through Samaria to meet with a woman. Here's the crazy thing. Jewish men for sure didn't talk to Samaritan women because the culture of the day, messianic law said, hey, um, if you don't like your wife, Jewish man, you can divorce her cause uh, she burnt your burrito. Um, she woke up and did her makeup on. She wore purple and you like red. You could literally divorce her for any reason. Y'all that's before I got a hold of law books. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> But if a Jewish woman got a law of divorcement, what that meant was, hey, guys, she's not worth it.
0: Okay, a couple things there, but let's start out with what she's attempting to do with the account of Jesus and the Samaritan woman.
3: So this is basically taking this text and making a pretext for her seven keys to success. I don't know, at the moment, it's hard to see any kind of connection to this. And oddly enough, as we get deeper into the sermon, that connection is going to seem untenable. But what she's doing here is trying to create the impression that this message that she's going to deliver is based upon some kind of an insight that she has regarding this particular text and so she's gone back to give us some of the context and in so doing she's made an actual obvious error and let me explain so we'll start with the fact that she has identified the name of the woman fotini now that's not a hundred percent agreed upon that is however a tradition within the eastern orthodox church the eastern orthodox church has named her fotini and so you know they refer to her as that whether or not that's actually the case That's up for some pretty good, rigorous academic debate. But the thing that she's doing at this point is she's not reading out the text. She's doing a lot of explaining about Fotini and how she thinks this all works. And she's given us some correct information about how the culture works among the Jews. But she's forgotten an important thing where she talks about Jewish culture, she also needs to recognize that this text makes it clear that this woman is not a Jew. She is a Samaritan. So whatever culture exists among Jews of this time, that is not the same culture that she has. That would be like saying modern day Jews have the same culture as Palestinians who live in the West Bank they don't they are in close proximity to each other but they have different religions they have different religious texts they have different rules and and commandments that they follow so her comparing you know her marriage situation to the uh, the rules uh, that jews are made to follow at this time that doesn't make any sense because Samaritans legitimately have a different way of ordering such things. And as a result of it, what she's doing is she's engaging in a Bible twisting technique called eisegesis. She's reading things into this text that are not there so that this text would then make the point that she wants it to make rather than the point that it makes. And sadly, this is one of the most amazing texts in all of scripture. And I lament, it is actually painful to hear somebody butchering this passage the way that she's doing, because this is a beautiful example of Christ's love for his bride, the church, which, sadly, the folks there at Faith Church St. Louis are not even going to remotely be aware of because of the way this woman is completely mishandling this text. Pastor Chris Roseborough is our guest. It's this week
0: in Pop Christianity. We're listening to Cole Crank's sermon, Seven Keys to Bigger Success. She just tossed out something there that you're holding back something in your life from God. What did that mean? This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we launch into the prophet Micah with The Lord is Coming, Exile is Coming, Woe to Oppressors,
1: Do Not Preach, and Rulers Denounced. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse
0: Bible study on demand. Listen at WordEndorse.org or on your favorite podcast provider. The Issues Etc a book of the month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus birth. It's titled N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040 or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity.
1: Grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org
0: welcome back i'm todd wilkin this is issues etc it's this week in pop christianity nicole crank sermon seven keys to bigger success pastor chris roseborough fighting for the faith is our guest chris before we go on what was that she kind of tossed out there that you're holding back some area in your life from god
3: so, this is uh, what I call narcissus and uh, this is where we read a biblical text, and the primary assumption goes something like this. When I'm reading a biblical text— these are examples of people who are having the same kinds of challenges in finding their destiny and vision and purpose like I am. And so I'm going to find keys to achieving the blessed life or the the purpose that God is, has for me by looking at how other people in biblical texts have experienced it. And so what happens is, is that you read a text like this and the, without even taking a breath, Within the same breath that they had just taken they immediately switched the subject from what they're reading to you and to I. Now, there are ways in which you can take a biblical text and note that the people and the stories in there serve as an example to us, but you can't find that example without first determining what the main thrust of the passage is. What is it about? Why is this recorded in Scripture? And what is it that we should really legitimately be focused on And we have to know all of that before we can begin, so then how then might this serve as an example to us? And the reason I say that is because the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the stories found in the Old Testament that the people who died because of their sin, that they serve as an example to us. And Paul makes it very clear that some of them engaged in sexual immorality, and 25,000 of them died in a day. So they serve as a warning to us, they serve as an example. But here you're going to note their assumption is, is that you can just switch the subject from the text to you without really determining what's going on here. And so this is a missed type of application. It's an invalid form of application of a biblical text when it comes to us. What's next? Okay, she's kind of set the stage here. We've learned a little bit about Fotini. And watch where she goes now, because she's going to really kind of key in on Fotini. But again, she's not reading the text. And watch how she ends this particular soundbite.
2: So when we read about this woman who was divorced five times, sometimes I hear it said, mm, you heard about her, She was just she was just around, she did all the things. When actually... For her to get married five times, something that historians say about her is Fotini was most likely gorgeous. That's why men would risk it on her. What are we talking about, Pian? We're talking about harvest. Can you hang with me? We're talking about vision. Can you hang with me? So she was most likely gorgeous. That's why guys would chance it on her. But she kept getting divorced. Why? Well, she must have not been a woman of character. Well, historians would say she was likely a woman of character because. Even with that divorcement once, twice, three times, another guy would say, I want to give it a try. So they say most likely she was a beautiful, infertile woman. And if you didn't give a man a legacy, you were a worthless dog. So she kept getting divorced for reasons she couldn't control. I'm talking about the vision for your life and the harvest you don't see coming. So she goes to the well during midday because nobody is at the well midday, but she does. She goes to the well midday, and when she goes there, she sees Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. Rabbis would not talk to women about theology, period. It was actually, in the rabbinic law, it said, better the Torah to be burned than to be read to a woman. So Jesus is talking to a Samaritan, divorced five times woman, about theology, what's he doing, why is he doing it, and what did he see? He obviously saw something that nobody else saw. And he did say, so you're living with the sixth guy now, and they say, if you do, if you read up on Jewish culture and tradition, she was probably living with the town drunk who didn't get married, but that's a place for her to sleep so she wouldn't be homeless. So she was getting beat up, most likely, just so she had somewhere to sleep. So he goes to her and he gives her a living water, a thirst, a salvation that she didn't see coming out of anywhere, a purpose and a value. And this five times divorced woman that nobody else would talk to became the first evangelist to win a city with the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody give Fotini a hand.
0: So Chris, obviously, People are
3: free to speculate as to the particulars of this woman's life. But is any of that in the text? No, none of that is in the text. And you'll note there was some very overt tones of feminism there, kind of down with the patriarchy, painting her out to be a victim of toxic patriarchy and men who just put her away because she was infertile. But the text doesn't say anything like that. And so if for a a deeper study on this, I I would point people to uh, Pastor Will Whedon's uh, handling of this text in The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. He does a wonderful job. But I would note that Pastor Whedon has added his voice to the Church Catholic and how they have handled this text. And he begins by pointing out where a lot of people point out that there's something deeper going on in this passage because here you have jesus meeting a woman at a well and this invokes some very good old testament stories and we remember that when abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for isaac that he first met isaac's wife rebecca at a well and then jacob he met his uh, his beloved rachel at a well moses met his wife for the first time at a well and so there's if you know your old testament there's some important things going on here And there legitimately is a bridal theme here that has to deal with the bride of Christ. Not that this woman is herself the bride that Jesus is looking for, but instead she is part of the true bride that Christ is seeking and loves and will lay down his life for. She's part of the bride of Christ of those who believe in Jesus. And so when Jesus finds her, we find her coming to the well at noon because that's a time when she could avoid the scrutiny and the scowls and the jeers and the rude words of other people in town who legitimately would have had a very low opinion of her five times divorced living with a man even samaritans had a moral standard and this woman didn't live up to it and she didn't want to hear it so this is why she appears at this time it just happens to be the time when jesus is there and so jesus asked her for something to drink and this woman is surprised that he would do such a thing because Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. And then in John 4, Jesus, at verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What a kind response from Jesus. And you'll note in his kindness, he's not interested in inciting the old hatred and rhetoric and debate with the Samaritans. Instead, He's referring to himself. If you knew the gift of God, Jesus is the gift that God the Father has sent for her, for her to be forgiven. For all who cry out to Jesus will have their sins forgiven. Anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so this is a beautiful account here of the kindness, the mercy, and how Christ himself is out there to seek and save the lost including Samaritans and so the woman doesn't understand she's thinking of like physical water, and she says sir you have nothing to draw water with the well is deep where do you get that living water are you greater than our father Jacob he gave us the well and drank from him in itself and as did his sons and his livestock and jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again the water i give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life and that's his desire for her despite all of her failed marriages despite the fact that she is adulterously living with another fellow right now christ's desire for her is that she would have eternal life and you can even think there's some overt kind of baptismal references here because it's in baptism that our sins are washed away and christ sanctifies his bride the church by washing away her sins and clothing her in righteousness and in his splendor this is the subtext to all of this and you'll note then all of this is focusing us on Christ, and the woman who this sinful woman is, she's an idolater. She is somebody who worships falsely. She is sexually immoral. We know this from the fact she's living with a guy, not in marriage, and we don't know the details of why she was divorced. That doesn't matter. Christ comes to seek and to save the lost. And so when Jesus finally says, go call your husband and come here, The woman answered him, I do not have a husband. Jesus said, You're right in saying, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And so the woman then says to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, you Jews, say that it's in Jerusalem. That's the place where people ought to worship. And then listen to what comes next. Jesus says, Believe me, the hour is coming. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. And that reference to the hour is pointing to the hour that Jesus is going to go to the cross to bleed and die for her sins and the sins of all of those people in that town in Samaria, right? And the sins of the whole world. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And here's one of the most amazing parts of this. The woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus does the unthinkable here. He reveals his identity to this Samaritan woman. He didn't even do it this plainly with the, any of the Pharisees who asked him, to say, Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? But when she mentions the Messiah, Jesus looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. And so this just is teeming with the love of Christ, him going to the cross, him seeking out his bride, the church, to sanctify her, wash away her sins and clothe her in his splendor and his righteousness. And all of that of what's in this text is completely lost because Nicole Crank here is more interested in giving something akin to a TED talk and practical information on how to have success in your life But I assure you that none of the points that she's making have anything to do with what's really going on in this passage. Pastor Chris
0: Rosebro is our guest. It's This Week in Pop Christianity, Nicole Crank's sermon, Seven Keys to Bigger Success. She's going to go on to talk about vision next. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, A Pastoral Response to Conspiracy Theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org.
3: This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster.
1: Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com lutheracademy.com.
2: At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child.
1: More topics,
0: more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. Congregational Sponsor. Ascension of Christ Lutheran, Beverly Hills, Michigan. Concordia Lutheran, Wilmington, Delaware. Grace Lutheran, Clarksville, Tennessee. Emmanuel Lutheran, Fairview, Texas. Messiah Lutheran, Keller, Texas Our Savior Lutheran, Westminster, Massachusetts Redeemer Lutheran, Mandeville, Louisiana St. John Lutheran, Paulina, Iowa St. Paul Lutheran, Munster, Indiana and Trinity Lutheran, Rock Springs, Wyoming Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org Click support, donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Friday, December the 1st, it's This Week in Pop Christianity. We're talking about Nicole Crank's sermon, Seven Keys to Bigger Success, with Pastor Chris Roseborough, Fighting for the Faith. What's next, Chris?
3: Well, now that she's uh, told us all to give Fotini a hand, way to go, Fotini. I kid you not, she's about to leave the passage and get into the heart of her sermon and leave it up to you to figure out how John 4 has anything to do with what she's going to say next.
2: So this happens and the disciples are there and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? And he says to them, hey, don't say it's four months until your harvest can show up. Look into the hills. So they did. And all they saw were Samaritans. What do you mean look into the hills, Jesus? All we see is something we don't want and we don't even like. He said, look into the hills for they're white with harvest. I subject to you today that your harvest is probably closer than you think. It's coming in a form that you can't see. And Jesus showed up for you today just like He showed up at the woman of the well to see something in you and for you that nobody else can see, but He wants to speak a word to you to lose life. Can somebody at Faith Church, all campuses, can you say amen, Florida? Can you say amen, Ferguson, Florida? Come on. Hey, I just want to let you know Jesus heals. And He's here today to heal your vision so you can see like you've never seen before. Can I get a good amen? Amen. I want you to say out loud, say, the harvest is here. here. So the harvest is here. So point number one I wanna give you tonight is you have to make your vision smaller. Gotta make your vision smaller. You never hear that, do you? You hear dream, dream big, dream wide, dream, shoot for the stars, you might land on the moon. But I've done a lot of research when it comes to goal setting, And when it comes to developing vision. And how many people around here have a job? Say me. And how many of you feel like, okay, you know what? At work, I'm probably at the top 20% of people in my office. I'm I'm coming in on time. I'm showing in. I'm punching in. I'm working hard. I'm doing my job. Actually, I'm doing a lot of other people's job. I'm in the 20, top 20%. Say me. Okay. The top 20% of the people usually have double the power, double the influence, and double the income of the other 80% of the people. And a lot of people to get to the top 20%, they study a little bit harder, they learn a little bit more, they work a little bit longer, they put in a little bit more effort. You ever tried to make your body just a little bit better so you started working out a little bit more, eating a little bit less, and until you went to Walmart, you got hungry and bought a frozen pizza. While you got your eyes checked, amen? <laughs> but to get to the 10 times, the 10X, you see, the top 2% of people have 10 times the power, 10 times the influence, and many times, 10 times the income of the top 20%.
0: So how do we get from the woman at the well to how you can be part of the top
3: 2% by working harder? I have no idea. Do you remember Evil Knievel? He once jumped the, the uh, Grand Canyon. The leap in logic here is so wide. I don't even think any member of Evil Knievel's family could jump this chasm. (laughs) My head is still spinning from how quickly we we took a hard turn to the left and just went off in this completely other direction. I I think I need to go see my doctor and, and have my neck put in a neck brace. But all that being said, what she did, the technique was actually quite fascinating she took Jesus' words from John 4, where Christ points and says, look to the hills, the harvest is plentiful, right? He's not talking about a harvest regarding your purpose or, or your vision or being successful at work. He's talking about the harvest of souls, and that's a common theme throughout the Scripture, talking about the reaping of souls. And at the harvest, the angels come and they separate the wheat from the chaff. It's described as a harvest. Evangelism is like a harvest. Behold, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, Jesus says. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends workers into the harvest field. This isn't talking about your purpose or finances or success or being part of the top two percent at your work. This is talking about those who hear the gospel whom God the Holy Spirit powerfully regenerates from being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. And so she has completely missed the entire point of this text. And you'll note then one has to wonder, did she intentionally choose this text just so that she can get to the word harvest? to only change the definition of the word harvest so that she can then make it appear, because that's your connector point, just one word, the word harvest, to then make it appear that the rest of this message is based upon a very, very insightful look at kind of the uh, the subtext of John chapter 4, when in fact it isn't. What she's about to preach has nothing whatsoever to do with John chapter 4.
0: I'm curious here about the move that you say she made and the fact that it sounds like that really got her audience going. Once we were off the biblical text and onto me, Jesus sees something in you. He's got a word for you and your harvest is waiting out there. They started eating it up. When she was on the text, they were just kind of patiently giving an occasional amen.
3: But when it turned to them and just started focusing on their lives, that's what they wanted to hear. You're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. And I remind people, we've covered this text on multiple occasions, but it legitimately fits here. In one of the pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul legitimately prophesies the state of the church prior to the return of Christ and the lamentable state that it will become. In 2 Timothy 4.1, he says to Pastor Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Sound words for all pastors. We are to be dedicated to the public preaching and teaching of God's word, but Nicole Crank here, you rightly pointed out as soon as she changed the subject and started talking about them, everybody's ears perked up. The clapping got noticeably louder, the amens with a lot more heartiness, because they're not there, and this is the sad part, they're not at Faith Church St. Louis for the purpose of hearing God's Word rightly exegeted. They are there to have their itching ears scratched And for the task of the minister in a church like this is to make it appear that the message that they want to hear is what the Bible teaches, but they don't want to hear what the biblical text really says because they have richly rewarded Nicole and David Crank for telling them what they want to hear. But what Nicole and David Crank are trafficking in is pure mythology. It has nothing to do with what the biblical text says. I can't imagine that anybody there at Faith Church St. Louis would tolerate their church service to begin with a confession of sins and an absolution. They're not there to be reminded of their sinfulness. They're there to be told, God wants you to be successful. God wants you to fulfill your purpose. God is going to give you a harvest. And by harvest, we mean you're going to be wealthy and you're going to be part of that top 2%. You're going to be the head and not the tail. And God is going to bless you as you're going out. He's going to bless you as you're coming in. And you're going to learn the secrets, the inside secrets of how to have success god's way because that's what they want.
0: It's this week in Pop Christianity with Pastor Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith. We'll get Nicole's seven keys after this. <laughs> Thanks to our listeners. Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2023. Our children are always a blessing to us, but not only are we blessed by them, but we have opportunities to bless them as well. Pastor Christopher Nuttleman in the December issue of the Lutheran Witness, takes up the topic of blessing your children, how to bless them in your home with the word of God. And prayer. To learn more, pick up your copy of the December issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
1: It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord,
0: who was conceived
1: by... Sacramental Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church.
0: Welcome back to Issues Etc. It's This Week in Pop Christianity with Pastor Chris Rosebro. He is pastor of Consvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and creator and host of the YouTube channel Fighting for the Faith. If you enjoyed This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro, please make a year end donation to Issues Etc. for a year end contribution of $250 or more. We'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Over Ruled Three answering arguments against Christianity, and a recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany Season hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org or just give us a call and make a donation that way, 618-223-8385. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your financial support at the end of 2024. Chris,
3: what's our final cut from Nicole Crank? It's a short soundbite, but I thought it would be important enough to collect up all of the major points of her sermon. Now, number six doesn't have a number associated, but she'll read out one through five. Six is in there, and then she'll give us point number seven. Listen carefully to what the points are and see if they make any sense according to what we know John 4 is about.
2: Number one, you have to narrow your vision, right? Make your vision smaller. Number two, you got to get exposed. Number three, you have to get your vision checked before you get your vision wrecked. Number four, can you focus your vision? Number five, you got to fight to keep your vision in sight. You got to be willing to fight for it. Say, the harvest is here. You will never achieve what you can't conceive. Number seven is share your vision to ensure your victory.
0: So we need to kind of frame all of this, and we've done this many times, in terms of what vision means for preachers like this and, and their audiences, and then how it fits within that broader word faith category that, because what she laid out there was basically kind of a mind science thing. Mm-hmm. It's all taking place in your head, mm-hmm. and, but you also have to share it, which means to me, that's just a softer way of saying you got to confess your vision. Mm-hmm. So how does that all fit together?
3: So, within churches like this, and you got to understand, this is the mainstream of evangelicalism now. They believe that every human being is born to fulfill a specific and unique purpose. This is God's vision for your life. And the thing is, is that when you first become a Christian, you don't know what this is, and then you need to, by your giving, by your obedience, through your sanctification, by your earnestness and your devotion, you need to be able to earn from God the right for him to tell you or to reveal to you what his vision is for your life. And then once you have heard the voice of God telling you what the vision is for your life, then you must steward the vision and apply the best practices in order to make sure that that vision comes about. Because for them, a a terrifying thought would be to stand before Christ on the day of judgment and for him to say, I gave you a vision for your life, why didn't you fulfill it? That For them, that's almost equivalent to a mortal sin that could land you in hell. Although they do say if that happens, you'll most likely still make it into heaven, but you'll have regret for all of eternity that you didn't fulfill the purpose that God sent you to earth for. Then the part of achieving this then is one of the techniques for achieving it is through manifesting the vision by speaking it, sharing it with others, confessing it, focusing on it, and making it happen through your faith-filled words. And yes, Nicole and David Crank are both purveyors of the word of faith heresy. They are deeply involved in that particular teaching of the word of faith. So that's that when they talk about vision, this is part of a larger tapestry of a central doctrine within their church. So none of those points are
0: explicated in the John passage that she, well, she began with it and then very quickly left it behind through a series of verbal sleights of hand.
3: Yeah, the text in John chapter 4 is about Jesus. In fact, uh, let me say this, all of Scripture is about Jesus. That being the case, she has completely left Jesus in the dust, like the thesis statement of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 20 says, uh, you know, many of the things Jesus said and taught, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's the purpose of the gospel of John. That's the purpose of all of the scriptures, that by believing and trusting in Christ, we might have life in his name. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be wealthy and powerful or anything like this, but that we'll be saved and have reconciliation with the Father and an inheritance in the new earth that will never fade or can ever be taken away. And then the, the daily call of the Christian is the daily repentance that we're called to and using the power of the Holy Spirit to take off the old man and put on the new and to mortify our sinful flesh. But she's basically turned Christianity into a message of prosperity and temporal benefits and success and things like that and blessings. But again, John four has nothing to do with this. John four is all about the love of Christ for sinful humanity and Him seeking and saving the lost.
0: When she says you have kind of have to lower your expectations and God's going to deliver big, bigger things. There's also a view of how God works with or how God functions at work there, that he's kind of waiting around, and this we get this a lot from these preachers, God's kind of waiting around for you to think the right thing mm-hmm. or say the right thing or do the right thing, and it's not that he's unwilling to do this. He's unable to do anything until you do whatever the preacher tells you to do.
3: Yeah, and oddly enough, there's a a growing number of scholars who, looking at the deity of the Word of Faith movement and the charismatic churches in the NAR, have come to the conclusion that it's a form of something called open theism. Open theism is a belief that God is not all-powerful, He is not omniscient, He doesn't know the future, and God is very, very much limited, and He needs permission from us to be able to operate in our life and to give us blessings and benefits. And so it all hinges on us basically doing the right thing but giving God then the authority to be able to make a difference in our life. And that God is not the God of Scripture. It's a very weak and anemic deity who's constantly waiting for you to get the right combination of secret knowledge that you put together in the right way so that he can then finally bless you and make it so that you can do this and so when she's talking about making your vision and making it smaller what she's basically telling you to do is you might be good at five different things you might be good at cooking you might be good at racquetball you might be good at uh, at some other things at playing the guitar or whatever but you need to find that one singular thing that is truly god's vision for your life and you need to fully dedicate yourself to that thing And let the other things that you're good at fall away so that then you can truly achieve that vision and purpose that God has called you to.
0: Where does this kind of theology lead? Because I mentioned before the apple in these cases of these dynasties falling quite far from the tree. If you look back, even I went to actually watch David Crank Sr. preach one time 35 years ago. And it's amazing to see how much things have changed. David Crank was word faith, hardcore word faith in the era, 35 years ago, it was the thing. And that's still at work here in the theology of the church that they inherited. But there is something different about this. There is something that's moving away, not from word faith, but even moving farther away from scriptural teaching because at least David Crank Sr. was trying to preach the Bible.
3: Yeah, where does this go? Where does this leave? So the scriptures describe false teachers as wandering stars. It's a, That's a fascinating way to describe them. Jude describes them as wandering stars, as waterless rain clouds, and things like this. And then it also describes false teachers as going from bad to worse. So the generation that David Crank is a part of, that second generation of Word of Faith folks, they do not make as much effort, if any effort at all, to basically make their doctrine look like uh, that it's actually biblical. They've become very secular is the best way I can put it. It's it's a form of liberalism, but it's a weird form because it appeals to Republican conservatives and things like this. But if you were to think of the ELCA as like the world from the left perspective coming to the church, what David and Nicole Crank represent is the world coming into the church from the right wing. And so it's a flag-waving, God bless America, we affirm the Scriptures, but we don't ever read them kind of thing. But it's as secular as it gets, and as a result of it, they don't even recognize how far away they are, really, from the kingdom of God or from sound biblical doctrine. And they'll say, well, we're not those liberals. We don't deny the Scriptures. They don't deny it overtly, but they deny it in action. They deny it by refusing to hear it and not tolerate it being preached. And so they go from bad to worse. And so what David and Nicole Crank are really good at is mimicking back to the right-wing culture, the secular culture within the United States, what they want to hear. And basically, it's just a worldly church. It's as worldly as the ELCA. It's just worldly on the right wing.
0: Pastor Chris Rosebrough is pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. He's creator and host of the YouTube channel Fighting for the Faith. You'll find a link to Fighting for the Faith at issuesetc.org and click Talk On Demand Archives. Be sure to subscribe to Chris's YouTube channel. Chris, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. For more information on studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess, Visit ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ, Who Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll have pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions. We will find out why Dr. Jordan Cooper isn't Roman Catholic, and we'll continue our series, Kids Have Questions with Pastor Jonathan Connor. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church on Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday
1: afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234 Box 83 Collinsville, Illinois 62234 You can also donate at our website IssuesETC.org Issues Etc. is a production of LPR Lutheran Public Radio